Hello and welcome to Embodying Change. I'm Melissa Pitati and this podcast is part of the CHS Alliance initiative to cultivate care and compassion in aid organizations. Today you'll hear me talk with Paula Ramirez about her journey from a youthful peace activist to someone seeking peace within herself and sharing her learning with humanitarians. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Paula Ramirez. Welcome, Paula. Melissa, thank you so much for having me here today. So Paula, I'm going to just introduce you from the description on your website, but then invite you to elaborate if you would like uh, for our listeners who might be new uh, to your work. Uh, Paula, you've been co-directing Respira since 2013 working closely with teachers and survivors of torture, gender-based violence and landmines in Colombia, South Sudan, Bangladesh. Uh, You have been a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher from, uh, is it the University of California, San Diego? Yes, that one. (laughs) Great, the Center for Mindfulness and the TCTSY facilitator, what is that? Trauma-sensitive uh, yoga. Oh, okay, TCTSY facilitator from the Trauma Center. So uh, would you like to share anything else about yourself for our listeners who might be new to your work? Uh, well, no, I think, I think that, that, is, that is it, yes, to, to get started. I, I would just add like that I'm currently working for IOM and UNFPA on a program to support frontline responders, like uh, gender-based violence frontline responders in several countries. Excellent. So one of our mutual acquaintances, Stephen Wainwright, uh, recommended we get in touch with you because of your journey and your work. It resonates very well with the work that we're doing in the CHS Alliance to cultivate cultures of care and compassion in aid organizations. So I was wondering, could you just give us a little background, tell us the story of uh, Respira, how you got involved there, what brought you to that work? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So I'm a uh, Colombian national and I, I, I grew up with the question around peace and the question around violence as well. Like, why is it that we as collectives allow violence to happen? Mm-hmm. And, and that came a lot with conflict transformation studies for me and understanding peace building. And I went into working very much with teachers and with students around peace building. And what I could see in those programs, in the social emotional learning programs, is that they are great, mm-hmm. but, I, but I saw that the focus was a lot in how is it that I create uh, an understanding and how is it that I can create peace with others and with my surrounding, but not so much with myself. Like, I didn't see that happening so much. And, and as a person who was like, who grew up in a violent country and who grew up with this question, you know, around violence and peace, I started saying, how is it that we can build peace from within? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, after an illness, like an autoimmune illness that I have, a, I began like a, a journey. Mm-hmm. for myself yes mm-hmm. around like understanding how is it that I was building peace from 
within, with myself, but then also understanding the political uh, aspect that it had to be in touch with oneself. Yes, as I started working in Asia with um, refugees, yes, and we were making programs for human rights, yes. Mm -hmm. And as we were working on human rights, how is it that the awareness of oneself and what is it that you understand by human rights, yes, mm -hmm. um, takes place. So it's like, for me, there was this whole question around the, like, the political aspect of being mindful, of being aware. Yes, and then I was in, in India, yes, I was in India mm -hmm. doing, I was doing uh, work, yes, with, uh, with children there, yes, and it was about uh, seeing how is it that the martial art from South India, mm -hmm. Kaladi, was giving children there all that they needed for their peace building process. And I could see how the body was very much involved into their understanding of the sacredness of what we are. So children, since they are small kids, yes, they start like learning and understanding how fragile their body is and how fragile their existence is. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and it's very, and what, what was amazing is to see that in Kerala, in this place, in this part of uh, India, it's it's very peaceful and people coexist really well between different cultures mm. and and i was doing that learning this and a colleague of mine mm -hmm. matthias rust he's from switzerland he was living in uh, colombia and he called me and he said why don't you come here and we why don't you come and we can you know, like build perhaps an NGO where we can do whatever it is that you're doing there in India. Mm -hmm. uh, because he was very into mindfulness as well. Mm -hmm. And I came to Colombia and we started working in building up an NGO that at the beginning started working uh, integrating mindfulness for mm -hmm. teachers and students in places heavily affected by the armed conflict. Um, so we made an alliance with, with safety children and we could evaluate our program very well uh, as well, like to measure the impact of, mm -hmm. of what we were doing. Um, and then what started happening is that when we started working with teachers and with students in these places, the program expanded because we understood that we were working with survivors of war mm -hmm. so our program started like to okay expand and to have a, another understanding of, of of the places that we could go with mindfulness where there was yeah like trauma or like an impact because of war mm -hmm. excellent could you say more about this idea I, there's so many things I want to follow up on. I start first uh, with your kind of uh, I don't need the word epiphany, but your the moment when you thought, "Oh, I've been promoting peace, and how do I build peace from within when I'm promoting it in kind of my environment or in other environments?" And there's this political aspect of being mindful. Could you say more about? the importance of reflecting on 
building peace from within and why it's political? Mm, yeah, thanks for, for the question. I I think that I that came to me because I couldn't run away from myself. Like I got ill. Yes, I was mm -hmm. 18. I wanted to study theater. I wanted mm -hmm. to study music. Mm -hmm. And at some point I realized that my hands couldn't move. Yes, mm -hmm. like they got, you know, like stuck. Mm -hmm. And it was very painful. And that happened for a couple of seconds, but it was really, really painful. And I went to, to the doctor and he said, um, well, there's two things that we can do here. I can give you cortical and you bear with the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. Or you just go and check what the hell is wrong with you. <laughs> yes, because this is not like a physical illness. Like this is more from your mind. Mm -hmm. What is it? that you are creating and what I realized is that okay all my questions yes because at that time I was planning yes to study theater but I was very much into this question around violence and I wanted to study uh, anthropology mm -hmm. to understand like how is it that behavior and attitudes are built at the collective so that I could understand violence yes mm -hmm. and I was so much you know into this question um having seen so many people around me suffering because of the colombian situation that when i started going within you know like i left my political uh, activism as as an uh, anthropologist and mm -hmm. i i just left it you know at some point i was like what i need to do is really go and really check what is happening with myself because all the political movement that i was making was for like for the outside and when my illness arrived and my doctor says what the hell is wrong with you mm -hmm. I said okay I cannot hide from this mm. yes given the fact also that the body is the main source of learning for me mm. yes and and I, I I just couldn't you know like run away mm. and when I started looking inside what I was seeing is that all that question around war and violence Mm -hmm. everything that I was seeing outside was living inside me mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. so it was like okay how is it and, and 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 it started building up in myself in the shape of an illness mm -hmm. um, so that made me think a lot hold on like from where is that I'm going to make a political impact is it from my rage is it from my is it like all this rage what's needed to create something meaningful outside when I am even like getting ill because of this you know like I want this to change and I'm going to change the world and my world was collapsing which I find which I have found very often in the humanitarian world with mm -hmm. with my colleagues yes like very mm -hmm. amazing people activists GBV frontline workers like their shirt on you know like yes and and then like with with their own inner worlds collapsed yes. and it's like how is it that we can create a political impact like there's no there's no sense so mm -hmm. for me that was the epiphany so to speak mm -hmm. because I couldn't run away from myself my body was just like okay you come and sit and look and when you were uh, when you were reenacting your feelings, your hands clenched. So it's interesting <laughs> that 
it comes yeah. to your hands. Uh, you had mentioned uh, this uh, martial art in India that yeah. um, the way of movement and the practice brings awareness about the fragility of the body, etc. I uh, I'm learning now uh, nonviolent communication. Uh, there's a discussion about what is violent communication and what is con communication that instead is more connecting. And there's this uh, idea of judgment. And in cultures that are much more prone to judging uh, people as good or bad or behavior as good or bad, uh, Marshall Rosenberg saying you might see more violence, violence in communication or physical violence. Is, does that make sense to you given your work on peace? and? Like, I mean, <clears throat> I think that what was beautiful to see in this martial art connected to Marshall Rosenberg's work is um, it's different when you connect with a weapon, mm -hmm. yes, not being aware of it than when you are. So what 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 was amazing for me with these children like i was seeing children like from four years up to i don't know like 18 20 yes but every like there were three stages of working with understanding mm -hmm. the vulnerability of what they are of, mm -hmm. of what we are and the vulnerability of how communication comes about mm -hmm. and the first stage of it was the body was feeling into your own body the second mm -hmm. stage was feeling into wood into the sticks yes mm -hmm. and the third one was going into understanding weapon yes like mm -hmm. metal knives mm -hmm. and when they arrived to that stage there was a whole ritual where they asked permission you know where they mm -hmm. there was a whole ritual coming about around like i am going to take a weapon in my hand mm -hmm. yes let me use it just for training myself and let me just use it knowing that this can hurt somebody mm -hmm. yes that the life of another human being the sacred life of another human being might be depending on me using this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that is very different yes mm -hmm because the relationship comes about with a lot of awareness, with a lot of consciousness mm -hmm. of the fragility of what we are, which mm -hmm. is very different from just taking a weapon and learning how to use it to kill another person. Yes. And the quality of communication mm -hmm. among these kids and among mm -hmm. these people out of really embodying what peace is. Mm -hmm. Yes. Embodying you know, like the like landing into this comprehension, into this understanding of the realms of their own body in relation to others, mm -hmm. around limits, around being with, around yes, that for me was like a training on nonviolent communication mm -hmm. in itself, because it was purely embodied. They were mm -hmm. not talking about it; they were understanding in their cells what it is to be like that with themselves and with mm -hmm. others so it's not about the weapon it's not about a martial art being i don't know like 
understood like as violent or as it's awareness it's awareness mm -hmm. brings us nicely to one of the things i wanted to ask you about uh on your website uh it talks about this uh interest in seeking to be a living example of mindfulness practice by applying its teachings, principles, and attitudes in all aspects of our work, both inwards, the operational team, the national chapters, as well as outwards. This is uh, your partners, the people who are uh, benefiting from the work. The deep caring for the people of the community is the centerpiece of these uh, approaches. Could you give us examples of what that looks like? And I'm asking this because uh, in the humanitarian sector, what I'm hearing from a lot of people in a variety of organizations is this feeling like our values that we have public facing aren't espoused or embodied in our ways of working internally within our organizations. So just how does it work for you and your team? Mm, yeah. I feel that 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 question. I feel like two aspects, mm -hmm. like of like answering that 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 question. Like I think one one aspect of that question comes with the internal organization. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about being a like a living example of mindfulness practice, also how that makes sense in the outside for people mm -hmm. that we work with and for. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yes. starting, yes, like from the inside, how is it that we are this living example? We try, um, I think that the living example of mindfulness work, it's just learning how to listen, mm -hmm. like really to deeply listen. Mm -hmm. uh, so what, what happens inside our team and how we build the operations, yes, when we have teams in the field, there is this of course the logistical uh preparation and aspect that we need to have mm -hmm. um but it comes with a lot of meetings yes where we gather when we get to really feel and make an attunement so that we can really feel into each other around what's happening with you even if the conversation Mm -hmm. seems that it's not about work yes even if we start talking about things that look more personal nothing is too personal yes everything every every piece of information that people bring into a circle mm -hmm. when we are making a meeting that apparently it's a job yes um is uh it's welcome it's valid yes because everything it's talking about us yes mm -hmm. so it's it's giving room really mm -hmm. to understanding who are the human beings beyond mm -hmm. the operation not just in the sense of how much do you know around gbv mm -hmm. but who are you how are you how is mm -hmm. it that you feel into the world that you live as a parent as a mother as mm -hmm. a human being mm -hmm. Yes, so for us, that is what feeds the human quality of the operation. If mm -hmm. we understand the humanity of the people that are part of our, of our team, mm -hmm. that's the essence of what I'm going to work with, 
not the amount of knowledge they have around GBV, like that can be built. Yes, I can give a workshop on GBV, that's it. Yes, and yes. of course, I mean, there's, there's, but what I'm interested in is in the sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Yes, who are these human beings and how is it that they relate with themselves? And I think that that's something that, strangely enough, like I feel it's like a total paradox in the humanitarian world, we don't have that. There's no time to checking mm -hmm. into each are who are the human beings that are part of, mm -hmm. of, of a project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a very important aspect. And we also um, deliver and and that like landing into the human aspect gives us room to land into the context. Yes, so there's a way in which we open the conversation as well into how is it that you feel the place that you're going to work with, with in, in. Mm -hmm. how is it that you feel to work with the person that you're going to work with. Yes, so we start understanding and me being an, uh, an anthropologist, yes, for me, it's like all around, like, how is it that you feel in that context? Mm -hmm. How it, it makes you feel coming from, I don't know, from a Christian place going mm -hmm. into a Muslim place. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah but it's like more questions around context come about mm. Mm -hmm. as we open the sensitivity of what and who are we as human beings then we have more room to understanding the place that we're in so i received a a message from someone after the global gathering that we held at the end of may who heard a lot of people in the global gathering that was bringing together people from all over the humanitarian sector. There's a lot of interest in creating space for human friendly uh, conversations, reflections, kind of getting in touch with what's happening beneath the surface. And this person expressed some frustration because um, in some organizations there's a lot of time put into staff surveys. Since the Black Lives Matter movement, there's more listening sessions. Uh, there's town hall meetings. Uh, and some people are frustrated because they've taken these opportunities to say how they feel. I don't feel good. I feel overworked. I feel I'm operating out of alignment with my values. I feel uh, my work is not recognized. I feel some tension in my relationships. There might be some bullying happening. Uh, I, I feel like my work is not making a difference as I wanted. So when, when there is that space and there is that effort to get in tune um, how would you respond to someone who has that level of frustration that there's doesn't seem to be a, the response or the change? Beautiful question. Yes, thank you. I I I forgot to mention something that we mm -hmm. also do that is related to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. How is it that we not only bring space for people to come together and express how they feel? Mm -hmm. But how is it that we at the same time build up resources? Yes. Yes. How is it that we build up emotional resources? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel that there's 
and for some people that like that are very frustrated like mm -hmm. ideally mm -hmm. yes ideally what what i would imagine is that there is an uh, operation that is so very well held that people does like don't go into that level of frustration where there's like nothing you know like that can But I feel that there, if there is a person that is at that level of frustration, I feel that one of the most amazing resources is holding space for that person, you know, like full, mm -hmm. without the need to do anything, you know, mm -hmm. like to, to, to bring that person into, you know, into understanding, into nothing, you know, it's like, okay, come with whatever you have, yes. And when that person finds the room for that frustration to find place, And to land fully into the frustration and land fully into why, into the aspect, as much as the person wants to go, go into your, your, into your frustration, sit with it. I'm here for you. I'm, ha I'm having all the space. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel that that landing mm -hmm. is what brings in itself mm -hmm. the light of building up resources. Mm -hmm. Yes. Resources so that that person can yeah can can start uh, building up yes his his or her own resources that may come out of actually going deep into the frustration mm -hmm. but again what is very important for me is again not just opening space for us to talking and express how we feel but how is this in hand aligned as part of building up emotional resources mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, 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 it doesn't make sense, at least for me, otherwise. Yes, because what creates space is the collective, mm -hmm. but also the emotional resources for me to understand the place in which you are, how that has an impact in me. Yes, so that we can all open space. But that cannot happen without emotional resources. Exactly. Uh, we in our Leading Well project we did with ICFA and CHS Alliance together, interviewing a lot of leaders. Um, for someone who's in a role of power in an organization who might be receiving requests uh, for change, there's been an effort to listen but maybe the information or the request that's being made is painful to hear. Maybe it's taken as a critique of their role, or maybe it just underscores how they're powerless to change this circumstance because some of these tensions are coming from external sources. So how do you think uh, people can cultivate a capacity to listen to one another, especially if listening is very uncomfortable in some cases. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess there's, I, I was in this uh, operation in uh, Bangladesh, which was very, very, very challenging. Yes. And the, the team was kind of a mess and everything was kind of messy and there was no space to listen yes mm -hmm. and for me it was amazing to see how there was a shift the the person that was uh, uh, directing the uh unit mm -hmm. changed 
Yes, and another person came, a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. And on the way in which he held space for the meetings, mm -hmm. yes, his presence, the way in which he was really embodying his own self, gave so much trust in people. Like he was not even saying he was not proposing for a more humanitarian, he was not like even talking about listening. He was not, you know, but his presence, the way in which he was being with people, mm -hmm. the way in which he was asking questions, mm -hmm. you know, he was asking questions about, hey, you, Rusul, to say something. Mm -hmm. How do you feel with the work that you're doing there? What do you feel about the people that are there? How is it that you would make a shift, if any, on that? But out of real curiosity, what mm -hmm. this guy was embodying was real curiosity mm -hmm. about his team. Mm -hmm. And everything in an operation as messy as that one started mm -hmm. shifting. Mm -hmm. And he was not talking about, yes, we're going to make a circle and now we're going to listen to each other. And now we're going to love each other. Blah, blah. He was not, was, he was not saying any of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was just his presence, the way in which he was curious, the way in which he was asking questions. That made the whole difference. For me, it's like, how is it that somehow, sometimes one person Mm -hmm. can make the whole difference yes mm -hmm. and when i when i spoke to him like what i understood out, out of this person was that he was he had a very strong self-awareness practice oh yes mm -hmm. and for me it was like wow you know like this made a whole difference and this guy didn't know about mindfulness work Yes, he didn't, he was not even aware of that. He mm -hmm. was just like, no, I just take moments for me, for myself, for breathing, for stretching. When I stretch, I realize, blah, blah, blah. yes. And he was like, just talking about embodiment practices, mindfulness practices, not even knowing what that was. Yes, coming from uh, Uganda. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, uh, and that made a whole difference. So it's like, if we could, as humanitarian workers, is if as much of us could have the time and space, and I find this so revolutionary recently, yes, like how <laughs> it is to have time and space, mm -hmm. we would be able to hold more and more and more space to others and be curious about what is happening with those human beings out there doing that work. So interesting talking to you after the global gathering where so many people are excited and want to participate in follow on activities and uh, look at ways to transform organizational cultures, look at ways to support staff when it comes to their well-being, uh, look at ways to be more mindful. And there's a lot of discussion now, what's the best way to do it? But maybe uh, from your personal journey, it should be less about what to do and how to be. What do you think? For me, I'm 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 becoming very rebel about oh. things. <laughs> 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 like, why do we even have to, you know, like do something to feel better? Yes, like, because all these wellness things, so I do yoga because I need to feel better. Mm -hmm. Yes, or I do mindfulness because I need to quiet my mind. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
let's just find time and space to just land into what we are. Yes, how is it that we can just build space for what we are, like in our individuality, but in, in the collective, how is it that we can, and again, time, space, and, and rhythm have so, yes, for me, has, has so much value. In your work with, uh, I think you said IOM and UNFPA? Yeah. Uh, you're supporting people who are working on gender-based violence. Yes, GBB frontline responders. Um, yeah, I, I'm guessing. I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing these frontline responders feel quite passionate about mm -hmm. what they do, and they see the human suffering, and they have a calling to support people who are suffering or um, support the resilience of people who have survived. <clears throat> or prevent this from happening to others. Do you find people that are playing roles like that have this constant tension between wanting to find time and space to be with the situation it is and still wanting to see the situation change? So this tension between being and doing. Mm, yeah, I feel, I, I feel that there's, that there's no, I mean, I don't think that being and doing, it's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, I just think that we are very much used to doing. Yes. So we jump right into doing mm -hmm. and there's no space for being. Like, I don't feel that they are two different things. And I'm not saying that we just need to be <laughs> and not do anything. Yes, <laughs> there is race violence happening. There's hunger happening. Yes. We need yes. to uh, deliver food. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, there's there's a there's a there's a small story that I think that would you know like connect this well. Now that I'm talking about food, and it's in South Sudan. At some point, we were giving some some food mm -hmm. supplies to families. Yes, so I was mm -hmm. I was with that team on that day, mm -hmm. and the way in which they were delivering the food. Yes, was like they were passing their food. Mm -hmm. Yes, like passing it as if, of course, there's an emergency. Of course, there's rush. We need to deliver that food. At some point, I asked, why don't we do something? Why don't we, why don't you just like, when you give the, the food, like really pay attention to the way in which you give the food. If you don't look into the eyes, because that's not part of your culture, mm -hmm. yes, how is it that you can pay attention, yes, for one moment mm -hmm. to the way in which you deliver the food and to the way in which the people is receiving that food? Mm -hmm. And it, it had a beautiful impact in mm -hmm. that team. Afterwards, when we finished, they felt much, they felt less tired. They felt with more openness. When we talk about compassion, yes, mm -hmm. when the, the very first, one of the very first words that you used, yes, mm -hmm. yes. was compassion. Yes. yes, how is that built? How is that built? It comes out of being, and it doesn't mean that we're not doing. Mm -hmm. We we still do, mm -hmm. yes, but we are there. We have the presence of us being there. And mm -hmm. these guys are doing that. They were saying, we feel much more spacious. We feel that we did something good, really. Yes, that we did, like, there's, they found compassion there, just mm -hmm. in that act. And it's just a few seconds more. Mm -hmm. 
yes, but it's a matter of really landing into awareness, into really landing into what is it that we're doing. So with with the frontline responders, yes, with the GVV frontline workers, of course, there's this need, this struggle of we need to respond, yes, mm -hmm. and of course that we need to respond, but from where? Mm -hmm. From which place? Yes, just mm -hmm. from the doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and mostly because because in something as sensitive as gender-based violence work, mm -hmm. and and in in every aspect of aspect of humanitarian sector, but mostly here when when it's so sensitive what happened, yes? yes, when wounds can be so deep, as with torture, as with landmines, yes, mm -hmm. it's like, how, how is it that we as frontline responders can connect with the sensitivity that that brings to us? And it's not that we don't feel that, yes, with the, the people that I work with, I have seen their, their sensitivity, yes, their mm -hmm. whole humanity there but their own inside collapsing. Mm. Yes. So it's like, okay, let's create coherence mm. between the relationships that we're making. Yes. Otherwise we just get too quick and it becomes something that is mechanic yes. as well. Yes. We can be there with our whole idea of doing good. Mm -hmm. But, but it can rapidly turn into a mechanistic way of just, okay, one person, another one, another one, very easily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic way to elevate that point. I wonder before we wrap, is there anything you would like to share uh, building on our conversation now before we kind of reach a close. Are there any stories or things you think our listeners should think about as we try to consider this idea of cultivating care and compassion in aid organizations? Well, I think that one last thing that comes to my mind is to like the importance of really remembering the neuroscience, yes, mm -hmm. like how our brain is, is plastic, yes? Mm -hmm. How our brain like has this plasticity that is built by habit. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that whole framework of connections, synapses, yes? Mm -hmm. Is made out of habit, yes? If we don't find ways to be more aware and to embody more our body, our self, uh, and to find from there the quality of compassion, what is going to keep growing, it's just the emergency. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be part of our whole life. That's going to be part as well of the way in which we relate to our children with people that, that we love. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just, I, I, I guess I would just say that. <laughs> We've been operating in emergencies so much that it's become our habit of being. Yeah. And yeah. someone mentioned to me, your organization is not a kind of this shielded from the context. Our, our, we as humans are not shielded. Our work is not shielded from our personal relationships. 
Paula, I feel so calm after talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Uh, for our listeners who would like to get to know more about you or would like to uh, follow up, uh, what would you recommend? They go to your website or can you say anything about how they can learn more about your work? Yes, totally. So I'm the worst person with social media, <laughs> but we have an amazing team doing that. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you can reach us at www.breathe.international. Mm-hmm. That's our website. And in Spanish, it is www.respira.co. Mm-hmm. Um, and on Instagram, we are as uh, Breathe International. And mm-hmm. uh, Respira, we are Respira in Colombia, in Instagram. Those are the ways in which you can reach out to us. Well, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation and for sharing your insights and reflections based on a long, deep-rooted experience and discovery with your own work and your own personal story. So definitely appreciate that. And I hope we can stay connected on our separate trajectories because I'm sure uh, our paths will cross again. Thank you so much and I wish you a very lovely weekend. Thank you, Melissa. It was so nice talking to you. You've been listening to Melissa Pitotti in conversation with Paula Ramirez of Breathe International and Respira on Colombia. A big thanks to our editor, Ziada Abayid, and the initiative supporters, the CHS Alliance members, the Government of Luxembourg, the UK's Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, and the Netherlands. If you enjoyed our show, you can help us in three ways. First, you can share the show with your people. Second, you can leave us a review to help others find us. And third, you can make suggestions for a future episode by emailing us at compassionateorg at chsalliance.org. We're open to your feedback and we're on the lookout for examples of good practice in the sector. We'll be back soon with another episode exploring care and compassion in development. Till then, take care and be compassionate with yourself.